Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. You'll be you ever remember when your parents promised you something? Like, uh, hey, I can hear him. Ray, if you do your chores, then this evening we'll go swimming. So I did my chores. And I went back to my parents after that and called on them to live up to the promise they made me. And I just kind of see that Nehemiah is going to do that today. He's going to pray covenant. And what I mean by pray covenant, he's going to call upon things that God promised he would do. Say, God, you said you'd do this. So, Lord God, please act on that. So he's going to pray covenant. And that's what I'm calling today's message is Nehemiah 1, praying covenant. He's going to go to God and ask him to make good on the promises that God had made towards Israel in the past. So God had called, is going to call Nehemiah to go and help restore Jerusalem because Nehemiah is going to be the right guy to do it. You got to pick the right guy, the right gal to do things to get it done because you got to pick people that know what they're doing. Back when I worked in the radio industry, if there was a radio transmitter that was broken down, my boss didn't just send anybody. You don't just pick somebody off the street and say, hey, go, go to Austin and fix a radio out there. They're not going to know how to do it. They had to send somebody that understood the problem. I understood the problem, what was going on before I even got there. I knew what was going on before I got there. I knew what to do. And also, they, the company sent me, sent me out there empowered to do it. They gave me the training, they gave me the tools, they gave me the company vehicle. So not only did I understand the problem, but I was empowered to go out there and get it done. I was sent. The Lord is going to, he's going to call up Nehemiah because Nehemiah understood the problem. He understood Israel messed up. You know, there's a lot of people today, they don't realize yet that they've messed up. They don't realize they've sinned. And so they're just out there, whatever. Lord, give me a raise, give me a car, give me a boat, give me a pool. They're not praying covenant. They're not praying according to what God has said. They're praying according to what they say. And so Nehemiah was the right guy. He got it. He understood the problem with with Israel. So God couldn't just call anybody to go. He had to send somebody that understood the problem. Nehemiah 1 verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. And I am not Hebrew, and I know I just tore that one all up, so whatever. (laughs) It came to pass in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So I want you to notice that Nehemiah is serving in a Persian palace in Shushan. 
palace life must be nice. But the report bothered him because they said that they were the insult of other nations. The other nations were coming and probably persecuting them. They had no city wall, which meant they had no way to defend themselves. They're easy targets. Nehemiah 1 and 4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for a few minutes and then got back on with my work. That's not what it says. Christian, I'm trying to undo some bad habits we have. It says, and I mourned for many days. Christian, you want to get work done. There you go. Many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Okay. I want us to consider how Nehemiah was living in a palace. He was living in ultimate luxury. Even a worker in a palace, you've got it pretty good. How easy would it have been for Nehemiah to say, you know, I'll pray for them and I hope things get better. But I live in a palace. I feel bad for them, but I'll pray. And you sit down, you do your two-minute prayer. You feel righteous. Okay, God love that. Check the box. I'm good. Let's go on about our way. And man, I'm living it up here in the palace. I see that a lot in American Christianity today. It's kind of like that. There's people out there in distress. Well, let's pray for them. You know, two minutes in and out. Okay, what's on TV? Nehemiah had it great, but that's not what he did. It says he prayed for many days. This bothered him to the core. It should bother us to the core what our nation's doing out there, guys. The sin, the deliberate, willful sin that people are doing, it should, it should penetrate us that deep that we pray a lot about this before the God of heaven. So he prayed many days, and I think this is a lost feature of modern-day Christianity today. He fasted and he prayed for many days rather than, oh, well, I just hope things turn out. This man's going to do something, we know, because we've got a whole book ahead about him, but he, look what he did first. He prayed. Don't just dart out there, I'm going to do ministry, I'm going to do something and just jet out, and you're going to get in trouble. Okay, I've seen a lot of guys with a, a zeal, a heart for God, and they want to do something big, and they run out there, and they don't pray it out first. Man, first thing you know, they burn out, they quit, and they're not ever going to do it again. Before you do anything, before you take an aspirin, before you decide what to go get at the grocery store, it doesn't hurt to pray about it. Nehemiah 1 and 5. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant... Look at this. See, they're going to capitalize on this today. You who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. I think it's so amazing here that Nehemiah did exactly the same thing that we saw Ezra do in the book before. Did the same thing. What he did, he didn't just confess his own sins. He confessed the sins of the entire nation as well. Now, most people would think, well, I don't have to confess their sins. I'm not the one that's done it. He's confessing their sins and his own and my family, my father's house, and for all of Israel. That's why he did a lot of praying, because that's a lot of sins to pray about. He prayed, 
And specifically, Nehemiah prayed according to covenant. That's the big point I want to make today. He said, you keep your covenant and mercy with those that love you and keep your commandments. Please hear me. You keep your covenant. God, you keep your covenant. You said we would, you'd do something. So God, will you do it? So I, I think we need to learn how to not just pray, but I think we need to learn how to pray covenant. We need to learn to pray according to the promises that God has made. See, most Christians I'm finding today, they don't read their Bible. They don't know the first thing in it. There's a lot of people, they don't know the first thing about God. They don't know anything he expects. They don't know anything he's promised. And they're just praying selfishly, Lord, give me, Lord, give me all for me, for me, for me, for me. They don't pray covenant, not like this. So you can't pray for things to turn out the way you want them to. We have to pray how God said he wants to do things. Now, God's going to bless you so that you can have things, so you can live, right? But that's not the focal point of your prayer. Lord, I need this, and I, I want all this stuff. You need to pray according to covenant. You need to pray according to what God wants you to do and say, now, Lord God, I'm going to go do that, but would you bless me with the things I need to go get your will done? You see the difference? Okay, he's praying covenant. Nehemiah prayed covenant according to God's will. But God's will demanded Israelites' repentance on their side of the deal. It's kind of like, hey, we'll go swimming if you do your chores. Okay, I did my chores. Let's go swimming now. So they're into the deals. They need to repent and they need to get right. He's like, now, God, you're a God of covenant. And I know this, but they're not repenting. So I'll, re- I'll, I'll confess on their behalf. So since I confessed on their behalf, it's like I'm doing their chores for them. I'm doing their work for them. Will you now Fulfill and do your covenant, Lord God, your promises. You see what's going on? One thing I want you to notice that Nehemiah did not pray. He didn't say, well, that's too bad for them over there and run down Jerusalem. I feel bad for them. But, uh, oh, well, back to the palace life. Lord, do something over there. Now, Lord, where's my extra palace raise and where's my palace this and my palace that? He, he, that's not what he did. We need to get a hold of this. Nehemiah prayed unselfishly. He prayed covenant according to what God wanted by personally taking responsibility for Israel's sin himself. That's an interesting trait right there, to pray on behalf of somebody's sins and taking it upon yourself. He recognized that this is what the problem was. Like I said, you got to send somebody that understands what the problem is. Nehemiah got it. So you can see here proof that Nehemiah gets it. He recognized the problem, and so he knew to pray covenant. But he knew to pray the covenant. He's got to pray for the repentance of the entire nation. Because the covenant said, if you, if you follow me, then I'll act. So he was required to pray confession on behalf of everybody in order to pray covenant. I, I think, friends, if we're going to pray for our nation to turn, we need to also pray on behalf of their sins as well. Don't just sit there and go, well, I'm not the one that did it. I'm not out there doing it. Those morons out there, those idiots, that that terrible political party over there, they're the ones doing it. We need to stop that. We need to pray on their behalf. Nehemiah 1 verse 8, Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And that's what happened when they went into captivity. Verse 9, But if you return to me, And keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens. Yet I will gather them from there 
and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah prayed to the Lord about all the covenant promises that he had made to Israel. The promise to gather them back if. This is a conditional promise. God has made a lot of unconditional promises that have no bearing on what you do. But this one is a conditional promise. I'll gather them back if if they will return to following him, okay? Now, when Nehemiah said, Lord, remember your covenant, that doesn't mean God forgot the covenant. Nehemiah was simply stating that he wanted to tap into the promises that God had made to Israel. When I went to my parents and said, okay, you said you were going to take me to do this, it's not like they forgot. I was calling upon the promise they made is all I was doing. So this is why Nehemiah confessed the sin on behalf of the entire nation because he knew that obedience was required up front on their part for God to perform his end of this covenant. So this was a conditional covenant that Nehemiah was calling upon. A conditional covenant is basically this. If you do this, then I'll do that. Now there in verse 9, Nehemiah quoted his responsibility to God's covenant by saying, if we return to you. That's an if. That means Some people might not, if we return to you and keep your commandments and do them. In other words, we have to obey you. He's admitting, we have to start doing, God, what you tell us to do. We can't just call on it and say, I need this and I want that and thank you, and then go off and not give a rip to do what God commands. A lot of people do that. They're not following God. They're not obeying. But man, they'll sure pray to God for every little thing they want. Nehemiah says, I get it. I understand we have to be obedient. For you to do this covenant. So if we return, you'll restore us. So Nehemiah is basically saying, Lord, we sinned. We are sorry. We messed up. I'm sorry. We need to turn back to you and we will obey. So please hear me so that we can receive what you promised us. Friends, that's a good prayer. That is a very good kind of prayer to make. God, you promised me, so I'm going to do it. I look forward to your promise. So here he was confessing his side of it. I want us to observe how Nehemiah finished by saying this. He said, for I was the king's cupbearer. I was the king's cupbearer. Now, what does that have to do with anything? He didn't say, I am the king's cupbearer. Did you notice he said, I was the king's cupbearer, which means he's got intentions on leaving. He's not going to stay in the luxurious palace life anymore. I was the cupbearer. He's going to give up his grand palace of luxury. He was ready to obey the Lord and do whatever the Lord wanted him to do, even if it meant saying, get out of here and go all the way back to Jerusalem. He's like saying, I am denying my old life. I'm walking away from it. I was the king's cupbearer. And guys, that was a big job. That was a big career. You probably made a good income on that. How many of you, if the Lord called you to do something and put it deep in your heart like he did to Nehemiah, could walk away from everything you've got? First of all, to come to Jesus, you've got to leave your old life behind. Be willing to anyway. You've got to die to that old life. He says, I was the cupbearer. <laughs> I think that is a profound thing. I didn't want you to miss it, okay? But also in verse 9, 
Nehemiah called on what God had promised. He already confessed, if we return to you, okay, then the Lord had promised to gather them and bring them back. Bring them back where? Bring them back to the place where God had chosen as a dwelling for his name. Where was this place? It says in Second Chronicles 6, verse 6, the Lord says, Yet I have chosen the United States of America. No. That's the way modern Christians in America think. Oh, we're, we are the country of God right here. Look what he says. I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. Whenever I walk through an art gallery and some big masterwork painting catches my eye, I'm like dazzled by this thing. And then after I've taken it in, I want to know who painted it. So the author, uh, the, the, the painter, he usually puts his name in the painting somewhere. And you can look and you probably find it down low at the bottom or something like that. It's because he wanted, he wanted people to see, I did this. So if you took all creation as a master painting, God says, I'm going to sign my name on all creation so people will know who did it. And I'm going to sign it right there on Jerusalem so that everybody will see what I'm doing. And that's, that's why he chose his name to be there. So Nehemiah's prayer was not selfish. It wasn't all about himself. His prayer wasn't about, you know, Lord, I hope things turn out, but could you upgrade me from cupbearer to being something a little better? You know, if you do that, I'll glorify your name. And I sure hope things turn out good over there in Jerusalem. Okay, uh, we've got to stop praying like that. It wasn't about himself. Selfish prayers never seem to have repentance in them. You ever notice that? Selfish prayers never have anything much to do with, Lord God, I messed up. I'm sorry. I am such a broken, messed up guy. Would you please forgive me? Usually, the selfish prayers are all about what I get. Give me something, God. Like the, the genie Jesus. You rub the bottle and he comes out. Give me what I want. Get my wishes. Now get back in the bottle and leave me alone. He had an unselfish prayer. He did not want to glorify himself. He wanted God to be glorified by getting the Israelites back home to Jerusalem where God said he has signed his name. You see, this is how you pray covenant. You pray according to things that God wants done, not just yourself up front. Pray covenant. Pray in agreement and submit yourself to God's will, not your own will. Well, I don't know what God's will is, right? Well, I'm glad you're here hearing the Bible today. You may get some of that. Let's get started with it, right? So this is the only way Jerusalem would be saved uh, to bring the people back and give them some defense. But also, Nehemiah dropped us a clue we just read. He dropped us a little hidden clue that he was in great, great danger. I don't know if you saw it or not. He was going to get in big possible trouble for this when he said, I was the king's cupbearer. Not only was he saying, I'm going to leave it, but I want you to remember that when you turn on a king and leave, they usually don't take it very well, okay? Do you remember when we studied back in Ezra, it was King Artaxerxes. He was the king that ordered Jerusalem to not be built. You remember that? I'm going to take you back to that because we just got out of that book. Look at this, Ezra 4 and 21. He sa it says, now give the command to make these men cease that this city may not be built until the command is given by me. That was, King's, that was King Artaxerxes right there. The same king that Nehemiah is working for as cupbearer. He said, shut it down. Nehemiah wants to go build it up. So when he said, I was the king's cupbearer, he was basically praying to the Lord, Lord, you're about to have me go and do exactly what the king commanded against. When he finds out, I'm in trouble. I think we need to think this through for a minute. 
If Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer, acted against what the king had commanded, what do you think the king is going to do about this? The tradition and the protocol of that day would be to have Nehemiah killed. You do not go against what a king has commanded. So he said, Lord, I was the king's cupbearer. You're going to have to help me on this one here. You, you, You catch this? He's about to turn his life completely over to the Lord God. Now, Lord, you've got to help me out. You've you got to do this because I don't know what to do when he finds out. So there it was. It was a call to the Lord God for mercy. Lord, I need mercy. He said in verse 11, I want to reread it. He said in verse 11, he said, let your servant prosper this day. I pray and grant me mercy in the sight of this man. Because once he finds out that I'm going to go build up what he commanded to be shut down, he's going to kill me. So please, God, give me mercy in the sight of this man. Friends, whenever you find yourself up against an impossible situation, all you can do is pray and turn it over to the Lord. Don't stress yourself out. You're just going to take a few years off your life, gray early, whatever. Hand it over to the Lord God. That's what he's doing. Can you see the death threat that is on him? And he's willing to go do what the Lord said anyway. God, God, I'm going to do it but you've got to give me mercy in the sight of this guy. He's going to take me out. Okay. So he prayed confession. He, he prayed repentance. He prayed covenant, just like Ezra had done. And I want to show you how Ezra did it in Ezra 9, verse 6. Ezra said, Oh, my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities. See, he's praying on behalf of them all. Our iniquities have risen higher than our heads. And our guilt has grown up to the heavens since the days of our fathers to this day. We have been very guilty. That is a prayer that God loves to hear. Stop praying to God about how wonderful you are and all the things you deserve because you're just so killer awesome. The right kind of prayer is we are guilty. We have done so wrong. That is a prayer on your knees of humility. I think we need to learn how to pray like this. Don't just pray about yourselves. We should also learn to confess not just our own sins, but it's also good to pray also on the behalf of the sins of our nation. God wants to hear from people that get it. God wants to hear from people that understand the problem. As Christians, we should understand the problem, and we should address it. We should pray it. God has to be able to send out people that recognize the problem so that things can get fixed. And Paul even instructed us to pray on behalf of others in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. And I use the NASB version because I like the way it's worded. He says, I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, see it? Intercession and thanksgiving be made in behalf of all people, for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. I mean, friend, friends, let me ask you a question. I never play politics in here because that uh, it's not my place. This is a pulpit, okay? Have you ever prayed for that president that you just cannot stand? Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.